If you have your Bibles today, I'd like you to open with me to the, according to Luke, we'll be in Luke chapter 8, and we will begin in verse 22, Luke chapter 8 and verse 22, and we are going to continue our series today in the Gospel of Luke, and uh, today's text is one that's often misapplied even by the most well-meaning of Christians, and I think it's not so much, um, I, I think the main reason it's, it's, I guess you'd say misapplied is, is, is because the uh, emphasis is placed in the wrong place. And so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the calming of the storm. The calming of the storm. Now, if I were a betting man, I would almost bet that even as I said we're going to look at the calming of the storm, probably you make some connections in your own mind about um, what this is going to mean to you, what this is going to say to you. You, you probably have, have, have thought about these things. You probably have heard songs about it. You probably have heard uh, sermons about it. And so you might, might have thought something like this. Well, just like with the disciples, Jesus was with the disciples in the storms. He's with me in the storms of my life. Therefore, I need not be afraid. You may have thought of things like uh, the, the song text that says, Sometimes he calms the storm, and what? Sometimes he calms his child. Something like, well, uh, uh, we need to, just like Jesus, we need to rest in the storms of life. Maybe you thought something along those lines, and, and if you thought those things, um, th- those things would not be wrong. But, uh, you know, it's true that the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. The Bible's very clear about that. Um, sometimes God does intervene, and even in a miraculous way, will change the circumstances that we're in. Um, when those circumstances do not change, is His grace sufficient? Yes, it is. So then what's the problem? Well, the problem is the biblical account here... And elsewhere, it's not about you. It's not about me. The biblical account is about Jesus. In fact, none of the biblical accounts are about us. They, the, the whole Bible focuses on Christ. Now, these things were written for our instruction. They were written for our benefit. They were written for our encouragement, and they do apply to life. But we have to understand that we are not the focus of the text. The focus of the text is Jesus who He is, and what He is like. So, so while it's true that Jesus is with us in life's storms, while it's true that He may intervene in, in uh, even a miraculous way, um, those things are true because of who He is. And so as we look at the text, I want us to try and answer the question the disciples ask, who is this man? Who is this man? Because out of His character flows His actions. And so if you have uh, Luke chapter 8 found, I'll ask you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. And we're going to pick up in verse 22 and read down through verse 25. It says, Now on one of those days Jesus and His disciples got into a boat, and He said to them, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they launched out. But as they were sailing along, He fell asleep, and a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. They came to Jesus and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and they stopped, and it became calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this that commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, the first thing I want you to see in our text today is the, the sudden storm. The sudden storm, if you look at verse 22 again... Uh, it says that on one of those days, Jesus got in the boat with his disciples and they set out. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Synoptic Gospels, they all record this event. 
And Matthew and Luke, or Matthew and Mark are actually a little more specific. Uh, Mark specifically is more specific here and, and, and more precise. Because Luke says on one of those days, he's ambiguous. Mark is very precise. He's not saying on Tuesday, March 2nd, this happened. But rather, Mark tells us that Jesus has, has had all these crowds coming to him. And Jesus is teaching them, and, and he has so many people coming to him that he sets out in a boat just a little ways off the shore and begins to teach the people. Remember us, us reading some of that. And, and in this teaching, one of the things he teaches them is the parable of the sowers and the soil, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago. He talks about hearing well and then being obedient to do what we hear. And so now this is just an aside, but this, this account here serves as a, as a great transition because um, we have all this stuff about hearing and obeying, and then we're going to get texts about his authority. That he shows his authority over the demons and sickness and so forth. And so this, this one event here, it serves as kind of a pivot point. It serves as a transition because in nature we have perfect hearing and obedience. Nature hears the Creator's words and obeys. But then it also shows us his authority over nature. Anyway, so Jesus is teaching all these people. And that evening, that same one, Jesus says, let's go to the other side. Let's set out and head over to the other side. Now, that's where Luke picks up. And so Jesus has had a nonstop day of ministry. He is exhausted. He's been teaching people. He's been answering questions. He's been doing all these things. And he says, let's go to the other side. Now, this body of water he's talking about is the, the Sea of Galilee. Okay, it is, it's a place that's mentioned many times in the Scriptures, especially in the Gospels. And it says that Jesus fell into a deep sleep. Now, this is just kind of a side note because I know some of us really like sleep. This is the only time in Scripture Jesus is mentioned as sleeping. Now, I'm sure he slept probably every night just about, except for those times when he stayed up all night praying and things like that. But this is the only time that we read about Jesus getting a nap. And even in that one time he got a nap, he got interrupted. And so, so Jesus... Um, is he, he's had this he's had this day of ministry ministry's tiring physically he's exhausted. Now the boat they were using wasn't like a little rowboat. It also was not like the Titanic either, and um, it, it was it was a fishing boat. It was quite possibly Peter's boat. And you may have, you may remember this way back. You remember the 1900s, way back uh, last 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 millennium. In 1986, they actually found a fishing boat from around the time of Jesus, and it was discovered in the banks of the Sea of Galilee. Now, we have no reason to think this was the one that Jesus was on, but it was, during, it, it was representative of what was going on during his time. There had been a long drought, so the water had receded, and they found this boat that was, that was lodged in the bank. And, and just to give you an idea of its size, it measured 26 feet long, 7.5 feet wide, and 4 feet deep. Now, if you're like me, I'm a visual person, and it helps me to see things. So I measured this out this morning, and so the fishing boat would go from that accordion door to about right here. Pretty good-sized boat. And size-wise, it would go from the front of these seats to the back of these seats, and it would be about this deep. So it's a pretty good-sized boat. Again, not, not, a little, uh, not, not the Titanic, but also not a little rowboat. They would all, often have, as fishing uh, crews, they would have 15 people as crew members that would be doing this fishing at night. They had four oars that they would use to propel themselves. They had one sail when the wind would cooperate. And in the back, uh, if you read in your Bible, it says the stern. For those of us who don't fish, don't, uh, don't boat, that's the back. 
back in the back of the stern, there was a seat. There was a kind of like a, a raised platform with a cushion or a pillow, and that's where the helmsman sat who would guide the boat. And so Jesus is back in the back of the boat. He's laying down on this, uh, this platform that the helmsman would have been sitting on, and he's sleeping. He's taking a nap, and while he's sleeping, this sudden windstorm whips up. Now, this is not unusual because even today, these windstorms happen. And it happens because of the geography of the place, and that's, you know, geography doesn't really change. Now, I have an illustration here uh, that, that will help you understand what's going on. So, you can see right here in the, uh, in the center here is the Sea of Galilee. It's 680 feet below sea level, about 700 feet. And all around on the sides, there are all these mountains and, and crags and ravines and valleys. And so what would happen is, and what still does happen, is from one direction you'd have the wind that blows in from the desert, and it would get funneled in through all those valleys and crags and ravines, and it would, it would be a, a wind tunnel, which, which of course increases its speed. But then there are also all these hills and mountains on the other side, and so it, that wind hits it, and they're swirling and, and things like that. On the other side, we also have wind that blow off the Mediterranean. And so it would be cooler. It would be funneled in just like from the other way. And so when you get this cool, moist air uh, interacting with the hot, humid air that's, you know, from the Sea of Galilee, it's been baking all day in the sun. When those things interact, especially with all the wind going, storms blow up just, I mean, just instantly. I mean, just out of nowhere, they happen. And they again, they still do, like 20 feet waves and, and so on and so forth. And so... So basically, they're in this, in this enclosure, and all, the, all of a sudden, this wind blows up. Now, it was not uncommon for them to set out and be, on the, be on, the, on the lake at night, because that's when they'd fish many times. But it wasn't real common for a windstorm to blow up like this, because uh, the heat of the day had passed and, and what have you. Now, if you'll look in your Bible, Luke says that a a, a fierce gale of wind blew up. Now, our translations in English are not nearly as picturesque and, and descriptive as what the original language is. Matthew and Mark also record this, and the word they use means earthquake. There's tremoring and shaking. Luke, the word that he uses, means hurricane. In other words, this, this storm was so strong the wind was blowing like it, like it would in a hurricane. I mean, you look at, you remember, you've seen people on the news, they've got to lean into the wind to keep from getting blown over. The, the boat's shaking, the waves are crashing, um, the, the, the water's coming into the boat, and if it keeps up, they're going to capsize or sink. They are in danger. In other words, things are getting with it. And what's amazing to me is Jesus is so soundly asleep that even though the wind, no doubt, is howling, even though the disciples are running around back and forth trying to keep themselves afloat, probably yelling at each other so they can be heard over the wind, even though the water is splashing up on him, Jesus is asleep. Now that is a deep sleep. And I just want you to notice the Bible says they were in danger. It was real danger. It wasn't just a perceived threat. If something didn't happen, if there was not some divine intervention, they were going to die. This was a serious situation. So we see this sudden storm. Next, I want you to see three rebukes. Three rebukes. Now, we read in the Bible, we read the word rebuke. We don't really use that word. What does it mean? It means to, it means to speak sharply or even angrily to someone because you disapprove of what they've done or what they are doing. Okay, so Jesus, 
The first one I want you to see is that the disciples actually rebuke Jesus. The Bible doesn't use the word rebuke, but notice what they say. They say, Master, Master, we are perishing. We don't know what they want Him to do. Obviously, they didn't expect Him to calm the storm because when it happened, they were amazed. They, 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 were, they were surprised. They'd never seen anything like this. We don't know what they expected Him to do. It's kind of like they're saying, Ah, we're all going to die. We don't know what you can do, but do something. Help us. Save us. But also notice, and, and one of the other Gospels spells this out, they didn't just say, Master, Master, we're perishing. They say, don't you care that we're perishing? I want you to remember that. So they were headed in the right direction. They just didn't go far enough. They, they came to Jesus, but they didn't have quite enough faith. So they rebuked Jesus. Don't you care what's going on? We're going down. Help us. The second rebuke I want you to see is that Jesus rebuked the storm. He stood up. He rebuked the wind and the waves, which we know from the other Gospels. He said, peace or hush, be still. Peace, be still. Now, both Matthew and Mark record this event, and they say that it became perfectly calm at his word. The Greek word that they use is the word megas. It became mega calm. Perfectly calm. Now, I just want you to picture this. One minute, the boat is shaking and rocking like it's in an earthquake. Things are, are, are tremoring. They're, they're rocking back and forth. The disciples are having to, to, to try and keep their balance on the, on the waves. They're having to lean to the wind so they don't lose their balance. They're yelling at each other. Waves are, are crashing into the boat. Their, their clothes are drenched. There's, there's salty spray going everywhere. They wake Jesus up, and he says, Peace, be still. And immediately, immediately, the sea becomes like a sheet of glass. Picture that. It's calm. It's tranquil. It's peaceful. It's placid. It's still. One instant the waves are about to break the boat apart. The next instant they're not even lapping against the boat. It's calm. Think about that. That is not natural. Because like when, when we have a storm roll through, what happens? It'll be, it'll start, you know, you'll see, it'll start to come down. And then, then it'll intensify. And then it will gradually lighten up and, and things move on. And, and, and that's what we're used to. But Jesus spoke, and immediately everything was calm. Now, we have a small pool in, in the backyard. And one of the things that we do, maybe you've done this too, is sometimes we'll go around the perimeter in a circle over and over and over again. You ever done that? And you just keep doing it. And as you do it, the, the water's carrying you on so you can go faster and faster. And then you stop, and what happens? Well, you, you just keep going because the water just keeps spinning. I have jumped from the ladder into that pool. And I displace a large amount of water. And, and the water, there are waves, and I can come up, but those waves just keep going. It, it doesn't instantly stop. But when Jesus spoke, these waves that were being blown by the wind, boom, perfectly still. No wonder these, these disciples were amazed. They'd never seen anything like that. Now, the other day, I knew I was going to be preaching this text, and it worked out really well because we had, a, we had some high winds. It, it was one of those days when it wasn't raining, one of the few, but it was really windy. And I was, I was sitting out in my truck at lunch, and I knew this text was coming up. And it was, it was blowing. I was eating my lunch, and I had my windows down. And I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to speak to the wind. And so I turned, and I spoke to the wind. See, this is what weird people do. 
And I turned and I spoke to the wind and I said, peace, be still. Guess what? It didn't, it didn't peace and it didn't be still. In fact, and this is no joke, it actually started blowing harder when I said that. Now, you know, the same as I do, that if you speak to the wind, it doesn't obey. The wind doesn't care what you say because you're not the creator. Jesus did this incredible thing because uh, uh, he spoke and nature obeyed his word. Can you imagine? We're going to be hauling these cans to, to the food pantry and stuff in a little bit. Can you imagine if it starts to rain? Can you imagine going out and you telling the storm what to do? And it doing it? It ain't going to happen. Because you're not Jesus. Now the last rebuke I want you to see is in verse 26. Jesus rebuked the disciples. He says, where is your faith? Now I want to pause here because I think we need to take this one step further than we usually do. Because here's what we often think, I, I believe. We think, and maybe, maybe we would say this about the disciples, maybe we have said it. Well, they should have known. Jesus was with them. He said, we're going to the other side of the lake. So they should have known, they should have trusted, that if Jesus said, we're going to the other side of the lake, nothing in all of creation could have stopped that. And that's true. Or we, we, we look at this and we, and we might say, well, Jesus was with them in the storm, so they should have known that they weren't going to sink and he would keep them safe. Again, as far as that goes, that's But listen to Mark chapter 4 and verse 38. And I, I referenced this earlier, but here's the verse. Jesus himself was in the stern, back in the back of the boat, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not? And I think that is the root issue. Their difficult, and, and you might write this down, their difficult circumstance caused the disciples to question the care of their Lord. Their difficult circumstance caused them to question the care of their Lord. And I think that is the key to, to what Jesus is saying. This is the issue of, of where is your faith? And we look at this and we say, tisk tisk, disciples, you know better. But we're the, we're the exact same way. Things, when things are going good, we recognize the goodness of God. When we get the job, when we get the promotion, when, when everything is going well, we recognize that God's good. We recognize His kindness to us, His love and His mercy and His care. But when bad times come, all of a sudden we doubt His care for us. Don't you care that this has happened, God? Maybe you've said that. Maybe you've thought that. Maybe you've prayed that. Or maybe you've thought it and prayed it, or thought it and maybe even... You just kind of sit under your breath because you don't want God to know what you're thinking and saying. But He knows. He's no, he knows what's on your tongue before it ever comes out. See, these, these gusts of wind made, uh, can, can sometimes make us doubt His goodness. The, the sea makes us doubt His sovereignty. The, the storm makes us doubt His steadfast love. And we act as if our trying circumstance that we're going through at that moment totally negates all of God's love and His care and His faithfulness to his people all throughout the generations, including our own. In our better days, we, we will say that God has done this and God's done that. He's intervened. He's answered this prayer. But then as soon as something bad happens, many times we say, don't you care? Where are you at, God? And we, we forget all that he's done for us in the past. And right along with the disciples, we say, Master, Teacher, Lord, God, do you not care? 
And, I, and he said to them, and I think he said to us, where is your faith? Now I just want to encourage you today, if you're in the midst of one of those trying circumstances, trust Christ. You say, well, of course you're going to say that. You're a preacher, it's Sunday, that's a Sunday school answer. Just because it's Sunday and this is church, that means wrong. We need to trust Christ, even in those difficult situations. Even when we have a circumstance that, that, that tries to drag us towards doubt and despair. Listen, God still cares for His children, even in the midst of our difficult circumstances. Now, right at the end of verse 25, uh, the disciples ask a profound question. They say, who is this man? Now, I've condensed what they said, but who is this man? Now, I want to expand that further and ask, what does this tell us about Jesus? Now, before we dig into it, I, I want you to notice, and the other gospel writers bring this out, but the, the disciples were fearful in the storm. We understand that. But when, they, when Jesus does this act, they go from being fearful to being terrified. They're more scared, more fearful, more terrified of what Jesus could do than they were of the storm. They were more amazed by his power than they were of the power of the storm. So who is this man? Well, Jesus, this man is none other than God himself. Now, it's obvious on the face of it, isn't it? Because none of us, the disciples knew this, we know this, none of us can go and speak to nature and it obey. Some of us have worked cattle, and you can speak to those cows a lot. And they can make you mad, and you can speak a whole lot to them. And they don't really care. They just move at you and do what they want. You can have the gate wide open. And they'll go on this side of the gate, they'll go on this side of the gate, they'll stand right in front of it and look at it. Like they don't know to go through that hole. They can go through it every other day until the day you want them to go. And you can say, go through, move it. Yeah! And you start to say, worse things. They don't care. Nature doesn't care what we say. It cares what God says. But beyond that, I want you to consider some verses in, in Scripture that disciples would have been familiar with. These are all from the book of Psalms, so they would have had these at their disposal. Psalm 65, verses 5 through 7. It says, By awesome deeds you answer us in righteousness, O God of our salvation. You are the trust of all the ends of the earth and to the farthest sea, who establishes the mountains by his strength to be girded with might. And here, here it is, verse 7, Who stills the roaring seas. The roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples. Who is it that stills the seas? God. Um, Psalm 107, verses 28 to 30. It says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still, so the waves and the sea were hushed. When they were glad because they were quiet, so he guided them to their desired haven. Psalm 89, verses 8 and 9. O Lord God of hosts, who is like you, O mighty Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the swelling of the sea. When its, ra when its waves rise, you still them. Just in the, as in the creation account, the Lord of the universe speaks and nature obeys. So now the Lord of the universe is in that boat. He speaks and nature obeys. There's no slow obedience. There's no disobedience. There's just obedience. He says it. It's done. Who is this man? Jesus is Lord. He is God incarnate. He's not just some really smart guy that said some nice things. He is the sovereign Lord. 
He's, he's God over all creation. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or, or authorities. Those are the spiritual hosts. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Not only is He the Lord, but we can trust Him. We, we should trust Him. And I, ask, I, I want you to ask yourself, is your faith wavering today? Are, are, you, are you filled with doubt? Trust in Christ. Do you feel that He doesn't care about you like He doesn't care if, if you perish? See, their test was the apparent absence of the Lord, but He wasn't absent. He was right there. As I heard one preacher say, he said, Don't doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. God is with His people. It could be that you don't trust Christ because you've never trusted Christ. You've never turned to the Lord in faith. You've never repented of your sins. Listen, Jesus isn't isn't a mild-mannered doormat. He is the sovereign Lord of creation. And you've sinned against Him. You've broken His law. And that sin deserves punishment. And it will be punished. It was either punished on, on the cross of Calvary in Jesus' body or it will be poured out on the sinner in, for eternity in hell. But God has made a way that we can escape that, that we can be made right with Him. And to do that, the Bible says that He commands all people everywhere to repent, to believe the gospel, trust in Christ for salvation. The great exchange, we give sin, He gives us His righteousness. And if you've never done that, even where you are today, do that. Put your faith in Christ. Want you to stand with me as a musician comes? And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And just in the quiet of this time, I want to encourage you, if you're in one of those difficult circumstances the storms of life as we sometimes call them. I want to encourage you to trust in Christ. Not to be saved again, that only happens one time. But those who are the people of God should be constantly turning to Him. We should always be turning our eyes to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we're all wrestling with different things, uh, different circumstances, different challenges in life. And we ask that even now, as, as, um, as maybe we're wrestling with stuff that maybe it's not even well known to the people here in the church, but but it's a, a doubt that lingers, uh, a difficult circumstance in our family, in, um, in our workplace, or whatever it is. God, we, um, we ask that you would encourage each one to look to Christ. And Lord, for that person maybe who's never accepted Christ as their Savior, God, we pray that you would draw them to yourself, that they would look to Christ for salvation. Because we know that's the only hope that any of us has in this world. Thank you, Lord, for being a, a, a firm foundation 
in a solid rock. In Jesus' name, amen.